Welcome, Wealth Warriors. This is Tiz Gambacorda's No BS Podcast, the only podcast that delivers the uncensored truth about business and investing success from the trenches straight to your earbuds. Download a free copy of the No BS Guide to Wealth at guide.tiz.tv. And now, once again, it's time to claim back the No BS truth about success and wealth. Hi everyone, it's Tiz Gambacorta here from 8020 Research and today I've got the great pleasure of having with us on the show James Shramko, all the way from Sydney, Australia. James, welcome. Thank you for having me Tiz, I've been looking forward to this. Likewise, um, one of the many reasons I'm very excited about having James together is number one, we've been working together now for, for almost a year, he's been sharing some amazing insights with me, but not just that, is James is one of those very rare people in the online um, marketing uh, and entrepreneurship uh, space who has been around for quite some time and has a very loyal uh, group of following of people following him and, and raving fans. The reason I say this is that um, a lot of people, especially in the online space, get results, you know, they come and go very quickly. Whereas James is, is someone whom I remember uh, coming across, you know, many, many years ago when I got started and, you know, I'm now part of his community, Superfast Business. And he, I think he's, he's, he's got a very special approach on a lot of things. He, he's, he's got a very, you know, no BS, straight to the point, work-life balance approach, which we're going to talk about today. Um, too many things. So very, very excited to, to have you here on board uh, and to hear your thoughts, James. Well, thank you. Awesome. Um, so maybe for those, um, a lot of people on the show already will know you, will have come across you, maybe, you know, have read the book. Um, share perhaps a little bit about, you know, what you've done and, and what you're doing now uh, for, for those who don't know you yet. Okay, so uh, now I have uh, two communities. I have Superfast Business and I have Silver Circle and they're catering for different levels of online entrepreneurs. I published a book and an audible summarizing my journey, which has for the most part been uh, the last 10 years since I quit my job of building up online businesses. I've sold a few and I've coached a lot of people uh, who are doing very well. And I brought to the table my skills as a general manager. So the last job that I had 10 years ago was a general manager at a Mercedes-Benz dealership. And prior to that, I'd come up through the sales channel and I had various jobs um, such as accounting, um, credit control, uh, debt collection, and, uh, and technology industry experience. And I worked for large multinationals like Vodafone, General Motors, BMW, and Mercedes-Benz. So that's really been the journey. And I've built myself um, a very stable business that has a great balance between work and um, time off. I like to have that balance so that I'm not lazy. I'm not lying back in a hammock in a, with a pina colada, but I'm also not a workaholic. I'm forging a line down the middle where I can actually have a life, but also have a nice income. Awesome. One of the things that um, I'd like to talk to you about today is, you know, you've, you, you are now catering to different types of entrepreneurs, you know, the, the, the more beginners, the more advanced. Now, all of this from, from what I see um, relies um, a lot on, on, on content marketing. So you've got a crap load of content out there. Uh, yet you were mentioning how, you know, you hardly spend any time on, on producing content. And, in, you know, in this day and age, everyone is going, about, is going about content marketing and social media. 
Um, and especially for those who are getting started, well, they're thinking that's all you know, nice and great, tips, but it takes a lot of time to create that content. Um, how can I do all of this plus run the business? So I guess the question to you is, you know, how do you manage to put so much content out there, so much high quality content, yet spend so little on it? What's, quote unquote, the secret, but perhaps most importantly, can you share some tips for, for those who are looking to get into content marketing, um, but, you know, don't want to spend a, a, a full time? Um, sure. I mean, for context, um, I'm not doing a lot of the things that other people are busy with. So I'm not doing launches. I'm not running paid campaigns. I'm not trying to have affiliates. So that means I've got some time to do other things. I also have a team and that's important. Over time, if you can build a little team, they can help you produce content because if you're doing it all yourself, it will take a fair bit of time. And then the other components are you have to have the right content. So there's no point just making noise or um, inanely vlogging every aspect of your life that may or may not be that interesting to consumers. So I tend to do short content. I um, have found favor in single topic content. So my typical videos will be a minute long, which means they lend themselves well to distribution across different platforms. After I've made the content on my phone, and I could spend, uh, I mean, yesterday I made 10 videos. It took me about 15 minutes. That's two weeks worth of content. I just give that to my team in Google Drive and they will upload it to different platforms and put descriptions and transcribe it and put closed captions and link back to the right parts of our website. So that's the video component. And the audio component, generally I find myself having great conversations with uh, people that I coach. Uh, like just prior to this call, I had a call with a customer of mine, Tom Breeze, who's the number one YouTube advertising agency in the entire world for a performance-based ad spend. So when I flip on the recorder and we record an episode, it's kind of natural just having a really curious conversation. I can ask him all sorts of things like, what sort of videos am I going to be making? Uh, how am I going to be targeting people on YouTube? Um, how long does it take to get a return on my investment? What things sell well? All of those things. So I'm naturally curious. Now, if I do one of those conversations a week, then it adds up. So I've been podcasting now for quite some time, I think probably about uh, nine years. And over that nine years, I've racked up, probably I've done a thousand podcasts. I'm up to 603 on Superfast Business right now. And I have four other podcasts. So that once a week podcast adds up. If you take nine years, you multiply that by uh, 52 weeks a year, you end up with literally hundreds and hundreds of hours of podcasts that are very leveraged. I mean, some of those episodes get listened to 10 or 12,000 times. Like right now, someone's listening to a podcast that I've already recorded sometime in the past. So if you add the two components together, what we're looking at is one hour a week of podcasting and 15 minutes a week of video marketing um, that's really not that long in the, in the general scheme of a week if you have a team to support you to publish that content. Absolutely. And I'm sure at this stage, you know, people are thinking, you know, hey, James, how on earth, and I'm exaggerating here on purpose, can you deliver meaningful content in a video that's like a minute long? 
Well, you can have a framework. Um, generally, um, there's a topic that's on the mind of your prospect. Uh, like in your case, I think you're quite into investments, right? Especially cryptos and bitcoins. I can see half a dozen books on your bookshelf that are uh, a bit of a giveaway. And uh, I know from our own conversations. So if you were thinking about a topic that's on the mind of a Bitcoin or crypto interested person, that it could be something as simple as, um, you know, is Bitcoin going to bite the bullet or is it going to rise again? You know, that's probably a topical topic right now. Then you can explain what you mean by that. You know, uh, some people, uh, some, you know, the finance desks are pulling out of crypto on one hand, but then uh, some of the hedge funds are buying up big in crypto. You know, so now you've put forward a sort of explanation as to, to what you mean. And then you get to the point, you know, you tell people your thoughts or your opinion or give them the advice and then you have a call to action. So in your case, you, you could um, explain what you think and why, and then you could tell them where they might find out more. So that, that's a short video, but it could be useful. But the thing is, when I'm coaching customers, and I have um, around about 500 customers in Superfast Business, and I have about 32 customers in Silver Circle, I'm answering questions every day. So it's very easy for me to take a question that someone asks me and then to make a video from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So essentially, just to recap, you know, the, we can call this the framework to the 60 second video is, you know, you, you pick a question that's top of mind for your prospects, you present the two alternative arguments, then you present your, your point of view, and then the call to action. Yeah, you could, I call it T, this topic, uh, explain it, and then answer it. Absolutely. And um, in, in terms of uh, calls to action, what uh, can you share maybe some examples um because you know that's a, a very easy framework that people can implement and especially for the person who's getting started who doesn't have you know a big social media presence or like you know half a dozen different lead magnets that can lead that you know they can send people to right so um just for the the, the action taker who's watching this this show and he's like okay i'm going i'm going to do this today right so everyone's got a smartphone they now have the framework they can record the video can you share some examples of, of calls to action that someone can, can implement? Yeah, well, surprisingly, you don't necessarily have to have a call to action in your one-minute video because this is the kind of content piece that you hopefully uh, will get people sharing and subscribing to. So it's going to get a bit monotonous having a call to action every minute, especially when they binge watch. I, I know people watch 10 or 15 in a row. Uh, like we published them to our YouTube channel so they can literally watch them. In fact, I have a page on my site called training and we've put all the videos on there and people can watch all of them. But one, one place you can put a call to action is around the content. So on YouTube, we put a description underneath there. Uh, in LinkedIn, we put uh, a link back to our site or people go and visit the profile and then they can go to our site from there. So think about where the video is going to be and if you can put a call to action near the video or you can mention your business name i get a tremendous amount of people searching for super fast business and landing on my website and it's coming from branding and i know in the direct response marketing world and i can see some sales letter books there uh, branding is a little bit pushed to the side but i can tell you it's actually quite a strong thing when you're talking multi-platform now what sort of calls to action can you put 
Uh, certainly with our podcasts, you usually have a call to action and often it will be to go to where the episode is. And I mentioned the episode number so that it's easy for people to search for. And we might have a cheat sheet or a, a checklist or a guide. So if I'm doing an episode about how to put together a training course, then we might load the training course planner to the episode and people can opt in for that piece of content that is exactly uh, what we're talking about in the podcast. So it's like a companion piece that will help someone get a result. And my goal is to demonstrate my expertise and to share such good information for free that people can get a result before they even pay me. And then once they get the results, then they're very encouraged and they have much lower risk in signing up for coaching. So just to make sure we're getting this right. So you're saying you've got the short form videos, a minute or less, who, that will then drive into a podcast episode, which obviously there's, there's a lot fewer podcast episodes than there are one minute videos. And then you've got kind of these pillar podcast episodes and then you drive them to, to a, uh, a call to action. Well, the one-minute videos, are, they're driving people to subscribe and to click over to our website at some point. And on the website, I've got a, a um, chooser process that helps people find the right solutions for where they're at at the moment. It'll divide them into what type of challenge they're having, and it will also segment them by what their income level is so that I can give them the right solution for their income level very quickly, like within two clicks. Got it. And I actually took a leaf from Apple's book with this because Steve Jobs used to forbid having landing pages or special URLs. Any campaign had to drive people to apple.com. And so whatever they were advertising had to be on apple.com at the time. And so I've become quite strong at branding super fast business. No forward slash, no trailing URL. In general, it's just to the homepage and that kind of breaks some of the rules that we know, but it actually um, works because I'm segmenting people when they get there. I hear you. I hear you. And, and um, on that point, and very quickly before we move on, on, on branding. So um, how, you know, there's a lot of emphasis, you know, in, in when you're getting started online, you know, paid traffic, social media advertising, what have you. Um, a lot of people are searching for, in this case, for your brand, super fast business, you know, as, as a branded search. I guess the, the obvious question here is, James, you know, how, how do you generate that branded awareness? Um, well, you mentioned it a lot, a lot, right? <laughs> uh, you know, we've mentioned it in this show, but in all seriousness, if they see a consistent brand, so it's really something I learned from Mercedes-Benz. They have very strong brand guidelines and they were very fussy about the use of the logo and they had color style guides, etc. So if you can pick a great brand name that's easy for people to remember or to spell and to find, and if you can own your search results for your brand name, then you can mention it often. And if your look and feel is consistent across all channels. So if someone goes to my Facebook page, my YouTube channel, uh, my podcast, my app, they're going to get a consistent look and feel for super fast business. And eventually um, people will know that for me. But uh, I mean, I get about 35% of the traffic to my site is someone typing in that name and clicking on it as the first visit. So it's a, it's a strong ownership. Uh, there's a good training by Seth Godin, and he talks about brand names. The harder it is for people to understand the brand name in the beginning, 
the more likely you can own it. A good example of that is Google or Yahoo. I mean, they don't mean anything on their own, but once you know what it means, then it can only mean that. Amazon, Apple, you know, they're very strong brand names. Absolutely, yes. Um, I see what you mean, and, and in that respect, you mentioned it a lot, uh, I get that. Um, you also mentioned, okay, you, you kind of, you, you need to build that traction. You have to own your brand name. What is something that someone who's getting started from zero, so no, no existing reputation in the market, no social media presence, you know, email list, you know, what is something, maybe two or three actionable things that someone can get started with today not to build a logo, not to build, you know, branded stationery, but rather, you know, to start, you know, putting his, his or her brand out there. Yeah, so I think picking a name, you, you, you don't need the logo, but you just need a name that you want to hang your hat on, that you get excited about, that, um, I mean, I've got a surf brand and I love the brand. I got stickers made up and I put them on my boards and they, they get GoPro'd and stuff. And I like the brand. I trademarked the brand and it's a really good brand and, and uh, it's becoming known in that market. So get a, get a brand name that you can own, that you can get uh, the domain for, and it should be a .com that, you, that you're happy and proud to be associated with and then use that in your material. So you can co-associate with that. Now, there's certainly a lot to be said for celebrity marketing and having an authority and um, if you're lucky enough to have such an unusual name as you have, Tiz, uh, or I have with my surname, um, then then everyone knows Tiz, everyone knows Shramco. They're, it's easy to stand out with your personal name. But if you ever want to sell it, then that's when it's nice to have a brand name as well. I can see a book there from Peter Thiel. Um, and, you know, PayPal was quite a saleable asset. Absolutely. Um. And, and I know it's a bit of a, a loaded question, so feel free to disagree. Would you agree that it's easier to start, if you're getting started, that it's easier to start with a, a personal brand name rather than a, a proper brand name? Yeah, I think it probably is. And once you've got some power in your personal name, then you can use that to power up brand names. So a lot of this comes down to if you want a cash cow or uh, if you want to sell it. So you can, you can play both sides if you want. Um, very hard to sell a personal brand. It has been done. I mean, Linda sold to LinkedIn for, I think, a billion dollars. So that was pretty good. But it's rare and it's harder to do. But you can certainly, um, you, ha you can take a unique position with a personal brand faster than you can with a, a general brand. So you can, it's easy to differentiate as a personal brand. We also, you get one reputation. So make sure that you never put a foot wrong when it comes to, uh, building trust with your audience. You have to do good work if you want to stick around for a while. And as you mentioned, um, some people come and go in this market. The average retention for me for my membership is almost three years. So that's it's at least uh, 11 or 12 times the average quoted retention of three months. That's huge. That's huge, and and it's funny that you mentioned that you've you've sold a, a number of business uh, businesses in the past. It's perfect timing. I actually 
I'm speaking in Lisbon at an affiliate conference on point in case um, how to sell your affiliate marketing business. So um, talking about personal brand names versus kind of, you know, proper company brand names. Um, and I know, I know this may be kind of a bit more advanced for those getting started, but it may actually be on point for those who currently have an online business. Any um, selling businesses is not something that the typical online entrepreneur would necessarily think about. Um, why would someone want to sell a business and, and when would you say it's a good time to sell an online business? A great time to sell an online business is when you don't want to sell it uh, because it's running well, it's not causing you a headache, it makes you good profit. That's a perfect time to sell it because it's very attractive and you can get the highest multiples and you, you'll be a reluctant seller, so you'll only take a good offer. Bad time to sell it is after you've let it run down, you're sick of it, it's annoying you, and you sell it to the first person who'll throw a dollar bill your direction. So uh, why would you sell it? Uh, you might want to make a, a profit. Like if you could sell a business for, let's say, three times its profit, then you you could take three years' worth of profit today, and then you could build another business. And if you could sell that for three times multiples in two years from now, then you can actually build up wealth. And maybe you're the kind of person who likes creative challenges and you want to stimulate yourself. Or there may be other reasons. Um, one of the businesses that I sold, I just didn't like. It was a very difficult business and I hated it. So I needed to sell that business for my sanity. There was another business that I sold for a different reason altogether. And that was where... I had one customer who became a big fish and he was ordering a big chunk of my supply and he was getting to the point where he would either have to go out on his own or it made sense for him to buy my business because he would get an immediate saving. The profit margin that I was making from his business could go back into funding the purchase. So it just made sense for me to sell the business to him. And I went from... Uh, you know, selling two businesses at once, I went from a team of 65 people down to a team of five or six people. <laughs> so it was like having a big holiday. And of course, I got a nice payout for it. So it was good. And, and it helped me be in a great position to advise other people who are going through the same process. I needed to do it for the experiences. Are there any um, maybe books or, or resources you'd recommend uh, for, for people who are listening to this said, hey, you know, I didn't know I could actually sell my business. You know, anything you could recommend for that, them to do some more research on? Sure. Um, well, like if, if someone is a member of Superfast Business, I made a specific training on how to build your business to sell it. And I presented that at my live event. But let's say that you're an outsider. Uh, there's a couple of good books on this subject. I like John Murillo's book called Built to Sell. And he also has another book called The Automatic Customer. And there's another book uh, that is, um, the name escapes me right now, but it, it's a it's a less known book. I think the guy's called Jim and it's something like how to build, a, how to, how to build your business up to sell for a profit. And uh, I'd have to look up the specific name. But when I was going through this phase, I... Aside from the books that I read and interviewing other business owners, I got people on my podcast who were mergers and acquisitions expert and business brokers. So I've done about five podcasts on this topic 
on super fast business. As I was learning, I asked every question I could think of. So there's a stack of free resources there that you could at least listen to. And I did it from the position of both buying and selling, because I think there's a huge opportunity for people with the right skills to go and buy businesses and to do them up and to either hold them or sell them, just like a real estate investor would. Absolutely. I, I remember my one of my biggest breakthroughs early on was to, to buy a business, I think I paid $11,000 to actually someone in, uh, in Australia. And uh, yeah, and that did very well for me. Uh, I think we almost doubled revenue within 12 months in that business. And yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I've, I've recently bought another business two, years, two, three years ago. You're right. You know, the right person with the right profile can make an absolute killing um, buying a business. I remember buying 200 domains from someone for about $4,000. And I sold one of the domains for $5,000 to someone who it was perfect for. And I built uh, websites on all these domains. And it was part of the foundation for my SEO business where we were able to build links to whatever property we wanted for years before the, the blog crackdowns. And in the end, I sold off most of the websites and the domains and it turned it into a hugely profitable venture. Uh, so yeah, if, if you're good at buying and if you're good at selling, that would be a good skill set. And that's one of the fantastic um, benefits of where I came from at Mercedes-Benz. In order to sell a car, often we would have to buy the person's car from them as a trade-in. So you get good at buying and selling and most people only ever learn selling, but they don't learn buying. Very true. Very true. Um, a couple of, of uh, questions before we, we wrap up. So, um, and this is perhaps more for the, the beginners uh, who are looking to get started online. Um, you know, a lot of people to listen to, who listen to the show are currently in a job or, or self-employed and they're looking to get out. Um, and, and one of the kind of the, the, the key questions that comes up all the time, and I think a lot of this is because there's a lot of conflicting advice out there. Um, is you know you'll hear you know some some people will say no you actually have to quit your job overnight and then go all in and you'll figure it out. You'll have then the the opposite crowd who say no you take it easy go part time you know build a side income get it to work and then you gradually migrate out of that and you know any variation in that you know in, in that spectrum. Um, you know you've come from a corporate background I've come from a corporate background. Um, you know what what are your thoughts on that on on someone who's you know frustrated in the nine to five looking to build um, an online business like, like you did, for example, um, what would you recommend? Well, I had four kids and a mortgage. There's no option for me to quit. Um, I think that's very foolish to do that because if you can afford to quit your job before you build your online business, then you may not have the motivation or drive that's required to build the online business. I think um, in my case, I decided to build my business on the side and I actually told my boss about this. I told him I was building online business in my own time, on my own dime, and I even applied everything I learned. I was reading sales books like the ones on your shelf there and applying them to the Mercedes dealership. We built a database of 10,000 email addresses. We optimized our SEO. I was running Google AdWords 13 years ago. I was bidding on words like Mercedes-Benz, <laughs> paying $13. You know, I learned from scratch uh, and I was able to apply it. But I would say build your business on the side and only quit your job when you're financially comfortable because the one thing you absolutely have to have 
if you want your online business to be successful is you need to have an offer that converts. And by that, I mean, you've got to have something you can actually sell that people will pay you for. And if you don't have that and you quit your job, you may never find it and you will never be successful online. So I'd say find that before you go quitting anything unless you really don't need the job. And if you really don't need the job, make sure you're motivated enough to do the work that's required in the beginning because there is a very steep learning curve for this sort of business. But once you get over that steep learning curve, remember to ease off a little bit and, um, and don't be boring. Now, the, the, the million-dollar question is here, and, and I absolutely agree with you. You know, the, a lot of people make online businesses very difficult, and, and to a certain extent they are and they're not. But, um, you know, I totally agree with you. One of the, the most difficult points, you know, the bitch, right? I'm just going to be very straight here. When starting an online business is finding an offer that converts. Any insights on that? It's just damn hard. I think it's as close as you get to the holy grail. Um, for me, it started with solving my own problem, which was figuring out how to build a website. I found some website software. It was like Goldilocks, really. I tried one that was not good enough, and then I tried one that was too hard, and then I found one that was just right, and then I was excited about it, and I built a site with it to demonstrate it, and I put my affiliate links, and eventually I was able to make a sale, and that was the way out. But it took me about nine months, Tiz, of doing, you know, 9.30 till 2 or 3 in the morning to get to that point. So most people would have given up by that point. Yeah, for sure. I can imagine. I can imagine. So it, it sounds like there, there's no kind of, you know, one formula to figuring it out. You, you just... It's so hard that I don't even work with people who haven't got to that point yet. Unless someone's making $10,000 a year from their online business, I won't touch it because the startup phase is brutal. It's, it's got a high attrition rate. Most people don't have what it takes to get through it, even if they find the idea that's good. But finding the idea that's good is just so hard. And my hat's off to anyone who has a start from scratch product that actually works because a lot of the start from scratch products that are sold have single digit success rates. I remember one guy had a hundred thousand people go through his challenge and he had like a 2% success rate. I mean, it's frighteningly hard. Very true. There's my motivation. <laughs> <laughs> Once you find it though, that's when life's great. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, no, I, 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 I couldn't agree anymore. It's, uh, it's, I think it's the most, I mean, uh, you know, starting and running a business is not easy in general, but that phase is perhaps the most difficult one by far. And, um, and you know, coaching can help and, and mentoring and what have you can help. But at the end of the day, it really boils down to the, the, the individual. It's, yeah, it's difficult. Um, just as, as we wrap up, so for those on the other hand who are already making the $10,000 and beyond per year out of their online business who've gone out of that phase, um, you know, a few years ago, maybe 10, 20 years ago, the issue was having access to the information, right? Um, you know, you had to buy books, library, you know, it was a lot more difficult. Now, in this day and age, you know, we all have pretty much any information we want at our fingertips. So, the problem becomes information overwhelmed rather than access to the information. Um, you know, you, you, 
you have a very successful online business, you know, you have a number of other um, businesses on the side uh, and, you know, you, you have a, a great work-life balance. So in terms of, you know, being productive and, and time management, for those who already have a working business, um, you know, you've done very well. Is there any kind of insights or maybe any daily routines or tips um, that you could share, James? Well, I think it's a matter of finding your leverage points, like figuring out, of um, you know which parts of your business are working really well and remembering to do more of that and eliminating the parts that are just wasting time and effort because there's usually a disproportionate amount of your results are coming from a small number of the things. So for me, I quickly identified that podcasts work well for traffic, which means I don't have to worry about all the rest. Uh, for me, I've, I like uh, recurring coaching solutions and dealing with the same customer for many, many years instead of finding new customers. So if you combine those two things alone, I've now got quite an effective business model. And um, also knowing which customers you like to deal with the most, the further up I go with the income ladder, uh, the more enjoyable and the more interesting the work is and also the more profitable. And the people on the higher level program are paying around about 18 times more than people in the lower level program, but they're also about five times easier to work with. So it's this weird scenario that you really can have, um, you can deal with the cream in the bottle and not worry about the milk. Absolutely. So true. So true. And, and um, well, I guess to a certain extent, you have to deal, you have to go through the milk in the bottle before you find some of that cream. Would you agree? Yeah, just to know what is the milk and what is the cream. It's like, you know, if you're an investor, you might have to make a few investments to find out, you know, what your investment risk appetite is and which gives you the right returns and what fits your, you know, your happiness indicators. And then of all the investments you've ever made, I bet you there's a couple that are particularly good and they become your sort of favorites. And then you could just focus on that and not worry so much about the others. But you have to go through that process. I call it crawling over broken glass um, or eating beans. These are words my mentors, my customers taught me. There is almost always it's difficult before it's easy. So just accept that. And if you can get through the difficult phase, then the easy phase is so much more enjoyable. That's, that's, that's very true. Um, I, I like to, to, to put it as if you live life as if it's hard, life will be easy. But if you live life as if it's easy, then life will be hard. Uh, yeah, exactly yeah. the same concept. Awesome. Um, so as, as we kind of get to the end of this uh, show, you've mentioned super fast business. Uh, obviously, Google it. Um, uh, you'll find a lot of information. You'll, you'll hit, uh, obviously, James' website. Um, you know, how, how can people learn more about what you do, James, and, and uh, potentially how can they, you know, apply or I don't know how it works to, to, to work with you? You know, I think a great starting point is either the podcast where there's plenty of information there by topic or my book, which is a good summary of my core ideas. And uh, I wrote it for my kids, actually. This is what I wanted to give them and say, read this and save yourself a few decades and get, you know, cut to the chase. In a couple of hours, you can get the gist of it. It's called Work Less, Make More. 
and it's available on Amazon and also the Audible version is very popular. I think because I have a predominantly podcast audience, but that would be the the best starting point, and it's uh, it's very inexpensive compared to um, other courses you might do, and I and I think it's very concise. Work less, make more. Excellent. Um, very quickly, um, I find it for my books. Hence my 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 question to you. Um, I found that my Audible books massively outsell. The, the, the Kindle and the paperbacks. Do you find the same? Yes. I'm selling more Audibles than any other format. Um, but the it appears that I sell roughly the same number of Audibles as Kindles and prints combined. So it's, it's the most dominant format. And when you add them all up, um, it's selling quite well. It's actually been a bestseller and it's often ranked well in some different categories, uh, depending on which Amazon marketplace you're looking at. So I'm very pleased with how it's been received um, for what it was intended to be. Awesome. Is, is this your only book, James? Or can people buy maybe other books on, or on different topics? Currently, I'm working on my second book at the moment, and I've got the third and the fourth in mind. I really like this model because I do like books, uh, much like you. and. I like the royalty checks that come through. I think that's a good um, income stream. Besides that, it finds me the right customers who I can help at a next level. So it's been a really good venture. I was actually surprised with how good it's been for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I find the same thing is, is, you know, people talk about passive income and, and I think a lot of the, you know, what is presented as passive income isn't really that passive when it comes to, to book, it is the ultimate passive income. You get those payments from, mm. from ACX, literally not having to do anything. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Um, James, any, any kind of closing thoughts you'd like to, to share um, with either, you know, again, the, the, the kind of the really beginner audience who's kind of trying to crawl out of the rat race or, or more established entrepreneurs, anything else you'd like to, to share? I think for, um, when I'm speaking to someone who's a beginner, I would say, you have to take responsibility. Um, don't outsource that to someone else. Don't think that someone's going to come along with a magic wand and grant you three wishes and everything will be okay. The only person who can put you in the box seat is you. And and that's a harsh thing to hear. And I remember that lesson was unpalatable to me. <laughs> I tried a few partnerships and I was kind of hoping that um, maybe, you know, I'd get an inheritance or something, but it didn't work out that way. So yeah, that that's my advice. Take responsibility. Take responsibility. Awesome. I, I, I couldn't agree anymore. And, and um, you know, I, I find whenever, you know, people buy, you know, courses, seminars, what have you, or, or even they buy businesses, um, there are, sometimes people are trying to outsource that responsibility and yes, buying a course, buying a program, even buying a business will shortcut you to a certain extent to the result, but eventually you have to take responsibility for, for the final result. Great. Awesome. James, this has been amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to share this with us uh, today. I think we've, we've got so many insights. You know, we've spoken about content marketing, how to have a, you know, how you've built such a loyal following. And, and uh, anyway, we've touched so many things. 
Um, if you want to find out more about James, again, um, work, may, work make more, work less is the book, um, or you can just Google super fast business. Thank you so much, James. Appreciate you taking the time. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Tiz. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to smash that like button, subscribe to the channel, select the bell icon so you can get notified every time we launch a new episode, or leave a five-star review if you're listening to this as a podcast. Before you leave, don't forget to click on that link in the description box, or go to guide.tiz.tv to get free instant access to the No BS Guide to Wealth. Thank you, and see you in the next episode.